Hello, Chris here with a quick technical note at the top of the show. Please let me apologize for the audio quality of this episode. We had to record in an empty room, and so there's a lot of echo, and there is a mysterious staticky noise, probably because we still have not upgraded our microphone setup. So we will be doing that soon in the new year. Thank you for your patience, and I hope you enjoy Mailbag Volume 3. Can we talk about organizational systems for 2018? Ooh, yeah. Here's what I mean, and I've been talking to some people I love and trust about this, but I have a personal planner. Ashley, our events coordinator, has a personal planner. Mm -hmm. We have a calendar in store where we keep track of events Mm -hmm. and hours worked. Mm -hmm. I have a Word document I create with everybody's hours. Mm -hmm. We use the When I Work app. Mm -hmm. We have Google Docs for For literally everything. Is there a way to consolidate any of this? Because somehow I still am dropping balls. I don't think so. Because, I mean, my system of many post-it notes is still working for me. (laughs) Um, But I do have, like, docs of other things that are, like, scheduled and that I'm keeping track of. I just feel like things are just... Balls are dropping. Balls are dropping, like... A bad juggler. I was going to say, like, they're hot. Like, they're hot. (laughs) But, I don't know, listeners, if you have any tips for us. I know. I love, like, before Bookshop, like, I just swore by a personal planner, and Mm -hmm. I've tried them all. Seriously, I've tried them all. I could name you all the ones I've tried. It would mean nothing to you, but it would mean something to people on the internet. Erin Condren, (laughs) Emily Lay, Bullet Journaling. I don't have any more, but I've tried a lot. Moleskin. Have you tried many post-it notes? I do that at the bookshelf in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> I have noticed. They're literally everywhere. And some, and then all of a sudden, like I'll be using them, no problem at all. And then all of a sudden it's like, I will have reached my limit. And the other day, I promised there were like 10 post-it notes on the counter. And I looked at Ashley. I was like, I'm just going to throw these all in the air. Like, so sick of them. <laughs> like it just reached a point. Something's got to give you guys. Something's got to give. And it's the post-it notes. Episode 150, A Landmark, of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I am a monument. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Speaking of beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, (laughs) this episode is brought to you in part by Fontaine Mori. Fontaine Mori, who we have talked about before, they're a great brand and design firm based out of Thomasville. Here's what I love that they're doing right now. They are painting and doing the design for Empire Bagels. Oh, cool. A new bagel shop in Thomasville, uh, right next to Fuzzy Goat. And so not only did they do the branding for Empire Bagels, but a couple of their staffers like create the outdoor, like they paint these massive mm-hmm. murals isn't the right word, but I guess signage um, for this for Empire Bagels. They've done it for a couple other places, but it's watching them do it. They posted a few um, Instagram videos of the process and I just was mesmerized. It requires such talent and they do it without a projector screen. <laughs> <laughs> you know? they're, they're very good at you what they do. I mean? They're good at what they do. It's astounding. I love it. 
Um, and then I had a friend uh, in my book club who specifically went out and bought um, blackberry um, preserves uh-huh. from, is it the blackberry patch? Ash. I believe so. Uh, because Fontaine Mori did their brand design and she heard us talk about it on the podcast. That's she so was like, great. I had to go get it because you said it was so beautiful. And it is. And it is. Um, so they do brand strategy, visual identity, web design, sign painting, photo styling, and digital content. They have done work for, obviously, Empire Bagels, our friends at Fuzzy Goat, um, Bird Lo- Bird Leg Bicycle in Tallahassee. Um, Sweetgrass. Sweetgrass. Uh, St. Simon's Island, mm-hmm. I think they did some visual branding for their community. So their work is everywhere. And even if you are not local to Thomasville, they could do things for you too. Yep. So if you, like us, are in small business and in the world of entrepreneurship, and you're looking for some help to do some branding or even sign painting or digital content for you, please contact Fontaine Mori. They do truly excellent work. Uh, you can find more information at FontaineMori.com or you can follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Fontaine Mori. They are good at what they do. Speaking of things that are good, we asked our listeners for questions because this is a mailbag episode. Because it's 150 episodes. And I think our last mailbag episode was episode 100. Oh, we're so good. I know. Speaking of being good at what you do. Us. But mostly our listeners. Mostly our listeners who um, did the work of this episode really for us. Really did the work of this episode for us. By giving us really good questions. Good questions that I'm excited to talk about and answer. So do you want to just jump in? Yes. Okay. Our first question comes from Kristen in Oregon. And she says, I would love to know how long it takes you two to make the podcast every week. Do you usually tape a few episodes in one sitting? How long does it take to... How long does it take Chris to edit? How much more time does the Patreon content add to your work? Have you ever had listeners from far away come visit the store because of the podcast? And like along with that, Aaron asks, how long do you have to record to get the amount of content needed and how much do you have to edit out? Great questions. Yeah. And so let's just kind of take these. What does it look like when we make an episode of this podcast? We absolutely record more than one episode at a time um, because the technical limitation of that is I work here one day a week. Yeah. Life has changed a lot in the bookshelf yes. over the past year, and I'm sure 2018 will bring changes of its own. Uh-huh. But right now, because, Chris, you're in the store once a week, and then as we mentioned on the podcast, you have been in and out of town. Uh, Constantly. In the, at yeah. the beginning of the fall, I was in and out of town. Mm-hmm. So we record, what do, we, what do you say? Usually two. I was about to say Sometimes three. Three is a nightmare. Three is a nightmare. Um, we <laughs> don't we don't like doing three, but no, usually we do two at once. Um, and so if you find the same background noise in two episodes that are at least weeks apart, that's why. <laughs> um, we don't necessarily record in order, although we do for the most part. Yeah. Um, but we're recording 150 right now, and we just recorded 151. Yeah. And so we're going forward in time we're like a TV we're going show. backward in time I've always been baffled by TV shows like where they record mm-hmm. you know they tape right the yeah no, they might them. they tape in production blocks yeah. so it's like episodes 1, 4, 6 and 10 or something we're still Hollywood we are Hollywood minus the gross parts well yeah minus all the gross parts um, how long does it take to record what a couple of hours two hours mm-hmm. yeah to record about an hour an episode yeah. yeah, so it takes us about a half hour. Like, okay, an episode runs about a half hour, right? Yes. And we do some chatting 
before and after, some of which gets recorded for deleted content, some of which doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say to record two episodes takes us anywhere between 90 and 120 minutes. Yes. Yeah, hour and a half, two hours. Yes. How long does it take me to edit? About an hour per episode. That's what I was going to say. Just oh. an hour and then, so an hour to edit and then to upload and everything another 15, 20 minutes um, to do the graphic for the website another five or ten. Um, so all together an hour and a half ish of thereabouts per episode. I know this because I was doing it and I needed someone else to be doing it. And, and I do. <laughs> and you're probably faster at it than I was, let's uh, be real. <laughs> yeah, probably at least a little bit. Yeah. Um, how much more time does the Patreon content add to your work? Honestly, not that much. Because we've recorded in here, probably what you spend most of your Patreon time doing is writing those yeah. MailChimp. I, when I get to the store on a Thursday, I'll write the MailChimp, which takes me an hour-ish, hour and a half, um, because I also need to do some graphics for that. I need to reformat a bunch of stuff that I've already typed up. It's the reformatting that takes the longest time. Yeah. When I take the MailChimp and turn it into a blog on the website, mm-hmm. it'll take a half hour per post, yeah. which is just bonkers. That's ridiculous. Um, and a lot of that's because I'm in the store and sometimes there are customers and I have to stop what I'm doing to help people because yeah. that's my primary job. But um, how much does Patreon add? So an episode of Unpopular Opinions is 10 to 15 minutes. I don't do the same level of editing for that as yeah. I do for From the Front Porch because it's it's, it's way, way less formal. Cash. I was going to say way more casual. And so I don't need to like fade music in and out. I just need to slap a little intro theme on there, make sure that the levels are right, and, and, and a fly, fly a little book. <laughs> um, have we ever had listeners come from far away to visit the store? Yes. Yes. It is. This is the coolest thing to me. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. It's so weird. So occasionally somebody will come in, and they'll hear one of us, and they'll say, are you Annie? Uh-huh. And I'll say, yes. And they'll say, oh, I listen to your podcast. Look, most people are from Atlanta. Yep. Uh, most people are from Atlanta, which is what, four hours from here? Three so and a half, yeah. that's fine. We have a lot of Tallahassee listeners. I don't really count that. There are locals. But we get a lot of folks from Atlanta. I have, however, are you ready for this? I think yeah. this is our longest one. Um, somebody was here from Kenya. Kenya. They're a missionary. Interesting. I want to say they're a missionary, and their family lives in Thomasville, so they were home, but it was somehow, they made their family or someone in their family come see me. I can't remember. It might have been that they were from Idaho, but they wanted a picture to send back to the girl in Kenya. <laughs> either way, Idaho is also very far from the bookshop. Idaho shop. is also very far from the bookshop. So shop. it was either Idaho or Kenya. Which are far, not the same amount of far. <laughs> not the same amount um, of far. But far. And like this does happen and sometimes a lot of our listeners are also shelf subscribers. Yes. And so if they call to ask about a shelf subscription and one yeah. of us answers the phone, it's like, oh, yeah. hi. Like last week somebody was like, are you Chris from the podcast? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm a real person. <laughs> yeah. Somebody came and visited us from... Ohio, uh-huh. because she's interested in owning her own bookstore in Columbus, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so we went out to dinner. That's a good time for an independent but, bookstore. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so she came and visited and she found us thanks to the podcast. So Which is great. the short answer is yes, people do come visit us and we'd love for it to be you, Kristen from Oregon. Come see us. <laughs> or Aaron from Unidentified Place. You yeah. guys can come check us out. Come visit us. Um, so how long do we usually record the get the amount of content needed? 
And how much do we edit out? I honestly don't edit a lot of content out. We're um, one-hit wonders, we're, baby. We're pretty good. Um, <laughs> what I edit out is usually, like, long pauses. I say, um. I say, yeah, yeah, no, we both do. Well, you say, um, and I take long pauses. Yeah. And those are the kinds of things that I edit out. That's what I used to notice when I edit. You take a long pause, which is probably easier to edit out. And I, <laughs> yeah, I know, because I used to do it. And, but all of my ums are at the same volume level. And they're loud. They're, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. you can find them real, real quick. That's true. That's true. So you're welcome. I mean, and I say um too. Um, <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, the other thing that I edit out is um, people climbing over chairs to get into our bathroom. Yeah. And I only mean that a little bit metaphorically, but like people go into the bathroom when we're recording, even though we have it like sectioned off. Yeah. It's just hard for people to understand, right? Because primarily. To our listeners, we're primarily a podcast, but we're primarily a bookstore. Right. And so when we have the bathroom blocked off, that makes no sense to people. Right. Uh, so we, you might, the noise might be different today. We're recording somewhere else yeah, today. Yeah. Um, sound quality is going to be weird today because we are in an empty room upstairs and it's very echoey and yeah. I'm going to do my best to try to edit that out, yeah. but I might not be good at it. Yeah. So we'll see. So we're trained, we're kind of fooling around with some um, recording locations too. And we have... I have some ideas of what we could do because there's another empty room next door that I think would be very easy to like set up. Yes. Like with some with some that like eggshell egg carton foam stuff. I think that would I think that would work for that. And so thank you, Kristen and Aaron, for those questions. Another one from Tammy in Woodstock, Georgia. How'd you two become such good friends? How'd you meet? (laughs) And I'll like I'll say it like this. Annie's my boss. (laughs) Um, I work for Annie. Tammy, I'm so glad you think we're friends. <laughs> we, we are friends. We are friends. We are friendly, but we don't hang out because I work for Annie. <laughs> I do tell Chris sometimes, I'm like, when you don't work for me anymore, we'll go out to dinner. We'll go hang out. And I'll tell you all the woes of running a All the things that I store. don't tell you as my employee. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. That makes sense to me. But right now, we do have a boundary line. We, yeah, like, yeah, we do. And I think we're, we're mostly pretty good at it. Yeah. Um, how did we meet? I interviewed <laughs> to work at the bookshelf in 2015. Say, I was, was going to say, I will say, so Chris is employed by the bookshelf, yep. but, um, it quickly, I don't, I won't say it quickly, probably after about a year of working here, I was recording the podcast alone mm-hmm. and Chris had been on as a guest cause we frequently, at least uh-huh. originally would have on new staff members mm-hmm. on the podcast, especially. And I've been on for like books and movies and yes. I've been on for Thanksgiving books. So he'd been on as like a guest. Three or four times, yeah. And so I thought, gosh, I really think I need a co-host. I, I think I need another voice on here. And I kind of racked my brain. And I was like, why can't Chris just do it? So. And I remember we had this conversation and I didn't want to like volunteer myself. Because <laughs> you were like, who do you think? And I was like, well, I mean, so-and-so could do it. Or, or so-and-so could do it. I could do I it. Did, I, I think <laughs> I was the one who did it. Because I think you did not volunteer yourself. I think I said, well, why don't you just do it? And, and I you was said, like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. So, so, <laughs> so that is how Chris became podcast co-host. And that's me. That's my life now. <laughs> um, also from Tammy from Woodstock, Georgia. Does everyone in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, think you guys are rock stars like your listeners do? No. Um, I don't know anything about <laughs> our reputation among our listeners, really. 
Yeah. Um, but no, that is not what the people of beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia think by and large. Not, they don't know who I am. I, I was about to say, especially Chris, yep. because Chris doesn't live here. He right. lives in Tallahassee. And I'm in the store and do not leave the store except to get lunch. And you're here right now, eight hours a week. Mm -hmm. So I do not get treated like a rock star. I do get treated like the book lady. That's true. So, so um, What you got for us, book lady? <laughs> so when I am out and about, whether it's Publix or the bank or something like that. It's almost like being a teacher and people look at you like, where do I recognize you from? Right. Children especially, because we do so many story times, I feel like kids think, who is this? Why does, why does this person look familiar? Uh, and then occasionally somebody will definitely recognize me and order a book or want to talk about a book. And that is weird and lovely. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't, think, I don't think we have rock star status in Thomas. No, um, and that's okay. It is I'm totally okay. I don't, I'm not ready for that. Let me be clear. Thing. I'm not Mick Jagger. No. Oh, but oh, but oh, but I were. If I were. Would that you were. <laughs> you could be the Mick Jagger of Thomas Bell. He's so handsome. I think Sterling is the Mick Jagger of Thomas Bell. I think Bell. so. He's oh, he's got such good hair. Yeah. No, he does. He does. All right. Those are all the questions we got. Uh, not true. <laughs> that was um, one of the questions about the podcast. Those are all the questions we got about the podcast. But we have a lot more about. Um, what we read and what we choose to read. And so this one comes from Anna in Atlanta. Oh. Um, how do you choose which books to read? There are so many options and so many new books every week. So how do you pick which ones to read and discuss on the podcast? Um, which is a great question. Um, for me, when I, when there are seasons when I've been able to read more, mm -hmm. I think what I typically read are the new releases that look interesting to me. Or the ARCs that look interesting to me, and so the choices that I make are based on what we have in the store. Okay. Very often, very seldom do I like order, order a new thing because I've heard about it. Yeah. It's just like, oh, look at this in the store. Good. That means we're doing our jobs. Yeah. Well, and when I was doing that job, when I was doing inventory, I was paying more attention to new release and what's coming out next month. I have not paid attention to that at all since like July. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to. Because I don't have to. You're, you're editing the podcast instead. I'm doing podcast things and focusing on my on my other work. Actual career. On my actual career. <laughs> um, and so, but I do miss that sometimes of just being up on being in the know, being in the know, and being up on what's coming out. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's what do we have on hand? For me, it is. I think I gravitate toward literary fiction first. Mm -hmm. That's naturally what I want to read. I think um, we have a couple of really good sales reps that will send yeah. ARCs and actually tag them for us. Like they know that's what I like. Uh, shout out to Virginia at Pink Random Virginia. House. John Mays at uh, Perseus. I guess he's with Ingram now. But anyway, I've got like a handful of reps who I feel like know my personal taste and that helps a lot. But once I have the stack of 20 ARCs mm -hmm. or and, 20 new releases. Mm -hmm. Literally, I have three stacks in my house right now. One on my nightstand, one by my piano, and one on my dresser. That's too many. It is too many. But the other night, I needed a new book to read, so I looked and based it on release dates, mm -hmm. because 2018 is right around the corner, and I chose four or five, and I threw them on the bed, and I said, Jordan, help me pick what to read next. And that's literally what I do, and Jordan helps me narrow it down. If it's a situation where I don't know, oh, I want to read this next. Right. Sometimes I Very immediately know. Girls. Yeah, but there have been a, there have been a handful of times in the past probably three months where I have had so many that I kind of didn't know what to do. So I 
picked five and then had Jordan narrow it down. And he would ask me questions like, what did you last read? What are you in the mood for? What's preventing you from picking this mm -hmm. one up? So anyway, that's kind of fun. And he kind of helps me when I don't automatically know what I really want to read. Right. And because as many new books, as many new books come out every week, we also get the ones that are coming out in six months. That's right. Um, and so it's like an even bigger and more terrible selection <laughs> for us sometimes than it is for you. Yeah. Um, if you don't have that, that like that, um, industry in, yeah. I guess, um, related question from Sarah. I discovered from the front porch from Ann Bogle, and it's now become one of my number one sources for book recommendations. Yay. My taste aligns with Annie's in particular, and she's pointing me towards a number of books I love this year. Um, I'd like to know who Annie's go-to book recommendation sources are, so then I can stock them online. And so... I wrote them down. Good. And you have some... <laughs> I'm here. We have reps who give you stuff. Yes. I have reps that give me stuff, and that is different. Mm -hmm. But, Sarah, never fear, because I also just have... I just follow bookstagrammers and Instagram people just like you would. So mm -hmm. that I'm going to name them and Chris can put them in the show notes. Absolutely. Avid Bookshop. We've named them before. They're a great bookstore in Athens, Georgia. I love to see what they're stocking. They're in a different type of location than we are. So they stock a different kind of variety. Uh -huh. And I love that related. Uh, I believe he is their manager. Tyler Goodson is one of my go-to. He and I are like book spirit animals. <laughs> is that? I, I'm not sure. That, sure. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Maybe book kindred spirits. There anyway, I I really like his reviews. Um, by the way, he's not a bookstagrammer. He's kind of like me, like just occasionally he'll post a book review. And that might be the case with some of these. So you've been warned. You not... accidentally became a bookstagrammer yeah. this year. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, similarly, Marcy Darling and Bookshelf.T, T-E-E. Uh, Bookshelf T is a t-shirt company that I love, uh, but it's run by this girl named Lauren and she posts YA book reviews and so does Marcy Darling. Marcy does young adult and then some regular, mostly fiction, but I really like her taste in books. Um, so she's fun to follow. Obviously, Ann Bogle, um, book of the month club I follow. So we don't, I, tr we try not to overlap too much with them on shelf mm -hmm. subscriptions. Sometimes it can't be helped. Uh, another bookseller is Jacqueline Krupe. Um, she is an Australian bookseller. Mm. So that's really fun because her book covers are different from ours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's really neat. And she has great taste. Uh, Riverhead Books yep. is an arm of Penguin Random House. And how, how, how do I love these? Oh, Riverhead. Their book covers are astounding. And who they've got, yeah. the authors they have signed, yeah. are so talented. Um, one of my upcoming, like, so excited about it in January is from Riverhead um, The Afterlife by Thomas Pierce and just Riverhead can do no wrong in my mind they're, they're so good, they're so good. Uh, books are magic in Brooklyn they have a great Instagram uh, yeah. account mm -hmm. uh, another just human instead of store is Laura Tremaine she used to be the Hollywood housewife um, I feel like she has her own she has a couple of podcasts she's married to a guy who's like a Hollywood producer of um, I don't want we're not allowed to say it on air but Jack A <laughs> She's her husband. Well, we're allowed to. I don't there want are no to. rules on podcasts, but I don't we're choosing to. not to. Yeah, there are children in the car. Um, okay, <laughs> I also really love um, Note to Sarah. She is another person who doesn't always do book reviews, but occasionally on her Instagram stories she'll post one. Erin.smith. Uh, literally, Erin D.O.T. Smith oh. is. She has great book reviews and. 
Um, if you're looking for children's books in particular, Kelly Hampton has great taste and she is at ETST, like enjoying the small things. I think that used to be the name of her blog. Um, maybe it still is the name of her blog, but anyway, she has great children's books. Uh, and then just other normal humans, Lee Kramer, Carrie Bauman, um, and then Jamie Golden and Knox McCoy from the podcast. Often our tastes overlap, I hope, because they're I'm influencing them, but they also really influence me. And that's how people work. And that is how people work. So I'll get Chris to link to all those. Sorry have, if that was overwhelming. Yeah, but I will have all of those in the show notes and yeah. maybe even like a since we get 280 characters now, maybe just a big tweet. Big to old tweet. People. Big old tweet. Big old Instagram post saying, hey, we mentioned you. <laughs> Um, next question comes from Anne with a really good question that I don't know if we've ever really addressed, so this okay. is maybe important. What is great books and why do you talk about it so much? <laughs> Yay! Which is a great thing. It is a um, great thing. My professors would be so happy. Yeah, and so a great books curriculum, and which we shortened to just great books, is essentially like an alternative humanities curriculum for college students that instead of using textbooks and using lectures, uses primary sources. So instead of taking like a Western Civilization one class, you would read Plato mm -hmm. and read Aristotle and read Virgil and read the Greco-Roman authors mm -hmm. and then take that into another time period and maybe you're doing like a Renaissance class, but instead of like reading about painters, you're gonna read Dante, you're gonna read Milton, you're gonna read uh, Boccaccio, that kind of that kind of thing. So both of us, this was when Chris interviewed for this mm -hmm. job. I thought, okay, hired because <laughs> uh, great books colleges exist various places, uh -huh. but not a ton of places. Right. And so They're I typically at the smaller liberal arts colleges. Yes. So I attended um, Faulkner University. It's a small. Um, Christian Liberal Arts College in Montgomery, Alabama. And I attended Palm Beach Atlantic University, a small Christian Liberal Arts College in West Palm Beach, Florida. Though it should be noted, Great Books courses are not they limited are, to Christian. They are specifically not. Yeah. In fact, it's usually the, not so much in your case, but I think the more quote-unquote liberal Christian universities that yeah. that have these Great Books programs because they're they're the history of the world beyond Christianity. Right, they get you thinking outside of that box. Outside of that box. My university skewed very conservative, but interestingly, the great books courses I took did not. And so I think that really made my education yeah. at Faulkner very different. And that's similar to my experience. So anyway, so when I met Chris and when I interviewed him and realized he too had um, gone through a great books program, I was really excited because to me, great books shaped the way I think. Uh -huh. It shaped the way I ask questions mm -hmm. and have conversations. And to this day, I feel like I know my kindred spirits because they have also been trained to converse and to have ideas and to think for themselves like right. I was. Right. Uh, and so great books quite literally changed my life. Mine too. And uh, and we have talked about this a little bit before in my very first episode. Yes, we did. Um, in, our, in my like interview episode. Yeah. Um, so I'll link that too if you want to have... If you want to hear an old conversation, a two and a half year old conversation yeah. about this because we're different people now than we were then. Oh, we are, yeah. Oof. Um, but no, it absolutely changed my life. My program was not called Great Books. Oh, what was yours um, called? It was just the Frederick M. Supper Honors Program. Oh, okay. Um, but it was 
It was a great books program. Yeah. I did mine over seven semesters though, and I think yours was only four. Mine was four plus a thesis. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, yeah, mine was seven courses that you had to take in sequence. Yeah, mine was four in sequence, and then you could choose if you wanted to do the thesis and mm -hmm. then round out with a... I was a liberal arts major um, with a journalism emphasis. Uh, I rub in Jordan's face all the time that he didn't write a thesis. Oh yeah, I'm he's, rubbing, not, I'm he's rubbing, not real. No, no, I'm rubbing it in his face now. <laughs> yeah, whereas I was an English and philosophy major, so all my classes overlapped. Yeah, yeah. It was all the same things, just reading literature, philosophy, all the time. Good times, really. Good times, I miss it, yeah. except it's still what I do, except it's very much not. Yeah, I love to say that great books and my liberal arts education definitely prepared me for my for my job, my yeah, career. Absolutely. Um, and I'm super grateful. Anytime somebody kind of acts as if the liberal arts are a lesser than, or like, I know people talk all the time about it's harder to get jobs as a liberal arts major. And that's so not true. And I don't think that's true. I think, I mean, I, I mean, knock on all the wood and I know I got lucky in some ways, but I found jobs after college, I think because of my liberal arts degree, it made and, me well-rounded. And the studies that have come out in the past couple of years are saying that employers by and large prefer liberal arts majors because they're independent and can think for themselves. Yeah. Um, in a way that, and obviously not that only liberal arts majors can do that, but that no. like they have that training. Yeah. Um, that that is a skill set that is taught in that kind of education. And I'm really grateful for that. And I am too, and I think about it all the time. Um, related question from Anne. Um, for someone who reads a lot of contemporary fiction but wishes she were better read, are there authors from the past that you wish people were familiar with? Maybe sub-canon, step below Austin Hemingway, Steinbeck, maybe someone like Vonnegut, Philip Roth, Raymond Carver. I would call all those people classics at this point, too. I would, too. But I guess not, they're more modern classics. Not the same level of reputation, I guess. Yeah. Um, can we recommend a few from that kind of, like, that genre of author? Um, yes, all of those authors. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to let you take this because I just have a couple, and then you can sure. kind of run with it. Um, I think people should read Aldous Huxley more. I'm always on my soapbox about Brave New World, but Aldous Huxley, in general, most things that he wrote are really important and very prescient, um, things that we should really, really, really read. I always... Um, turn back to Hannah Arendt too for philosophy. She doesn't write any fiction, but her nonfiction, like she has some journalistic stuff and she has some philosophy stuff. Um, and I think she's the most important thinker of the 20th century. Mm. Um, let's see, Steinbeck's always good. Um, Sylvia Plath, um, read some of her poetry, read The Bell Jar, read um, Fitzgerald Beyond Gatsby. Um, yes. Beautiful and Damned is very good. Um, Tender is the Night is very good. I love Tender is the Night. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble thinking. I was going to say, the only ones that I really came up with were Wallace Stegner, because oh, that sure, was somebody yeah. I that I did not read until adulthood, because he never came up in any course right. I ever took. And uh, I think he is a phenomenal writer. Um, we've mentioned Wendell Berry several oh, times. Oh, Wendell Berry, absolutely. Everybody needs to read Wendell Berry. Uh, I think Mary Oliver for poetry. Mm -hmm. I stand by my love for Arthur Miller. Sure, yeah, I, Arthur Miller's great. I really love his work. Um, and Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Um, along the Arthur Miller train. Oh, that's a good. Um, I I love Tennessee Williams. My only other mine personally that I wish I'd read more of, and there's this really great collection in our classic section right now, Dorothy Parker. Yeah. I never read her, so those would be my my suggestions. Those are good ones. As far as Vonnegut goes, um, Slaughterhouse Five is a classic. 
Philip Roth, you should read American Pastoral. Um, Cormac McCarthy is very good. Yeah. I really love No Country for Old Men, the book. The movie's also excellent, um, very faithful adaptation. Um, but I also really liked, um, oh, what's the, All the Pretty Horses. Mm-hmm. All the Pretty Horses is beautiful. Um, Don DeLillo, White Noise is very good. Um, David Foster Wallace, um, Infinite Jest, if you can get through it, is frankly amazing, but I'm also not one of those people who's going to sit there and tell you to read Infinite Jest because you really need the stomach for it. Um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I, yeah, I will uh, get back to you and with some more of those, but I, I do recommend it for sure. Um, Holly from Texas asks, what are your guilty pleasure books? So maybe the opposite question here. Ones that everybody hated and you love, or ones that you're just not quite jumping up to tell people you're reading or have read. Fess Fe- up. Fess up. Um, Dan Brown. <laughs> I, mean, I do think that is funny I, from you, but I love it. Because I don't... It makes you complicated. And it's not like... I talk about hate reading Dan Brown, mm-hmm. but that's not really accurate. No, I, I think you enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah. And when I'm done, I hate myself. Don't. Because it's... Well... It's Turn not, 30. I feel like 30 changes everything. It might. <laughs> the thing is, I don't enjoy his prose style. Like, yeah. he's not a good writer. His mysteries are convoluted. The characterization is all over the place. The histor- the historical aspects of it are bad, typically. And you, of all people, would know. And I do know. That's when the I thing. Read like, that's Inferno, what's funny about it to me. When I read Inferno, I knew what was going to happen on page 30 because I had been to the site that he was describing in vague detail and knew what he was describing. It's in Istanbul, and it's this Byzantine cistern that has an upside-down Medusa head, like, in it. And he said, like, this upside-down woman's face in the water. And I was like, oh, okay, yep, Byzantine cistern, Istanbul, got it. Know where this is going. Um, Which, like, obviously not everybody has. Right. Um, But it's also just not good. Yeah, but you like it. I love it. And that's fine. I know. Uh, the Martian by Andy Weir is the same way. When I read The Martian, I think I talked about how like the narration was very Dan Brown. Because yeah. it is. It's this very formulaic description. It's very pulpy. It's very mass market paperback. It's not good writing, but yeah. I really like it. It's yeah. enjoyable. Uh, Holly, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't feel guilty very much anymore. Good. So, like, I read the Ted Bundy book. That's something I think I would have originally not felt guilty about, but maybe not bragged that I read. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to brag about what I read. That's right. gross. Yeah, but, no, that's terrible. Um, but I, I guess I'm not ashamed of that. Like, I wanted to read it, so I read it. Um, I Speaking of, like, pulpy, I have read a handful of John Grisham's books and really like them. And I, I guess I don't want to live in a culture where we shame people for what they read yeah what Um, they do read or don't read i will tell you a book i have not read and will never read and that's 50 shades of gray i'm not yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there i read some excerpts (laughs) did you i don't recommend it yeah yeah no i i can't do this so um i guess i have a line that i draw but if i'm reading it i probably don't feel guilty about it um, and Holly, in her fuller, like the full text of that question, talks about Gone Girl um, as her Gone Girl's so pleasure. good, Holly. And Gone Girl's great. Don't be ashamed. Don't of be Gone ashamed Girl. of Gone Girl. That book is fantastic. That book holds up. That book is wonderful. I stand by it. That book is fascinating, and the ending, I loved it. I no Very shame good. in my game. And I, me. I love the movie. Yeah. I've seen the movie three times, oh. and it gets better every time. I've only seen it the one, but I really it did. It gets like better it. every time, right, especially now. Oof. 
now that we hate Ben Affleck, yeah. it's even better. <laughs> uh, because, man, I hate, I hate that guy. Um, Joanne asks us, I read quite a bit around a full-time job and family. You all are just as busy and seem to read more. I read waiting for appointments, waiting in the car, and formally at home. How do you cover so much reading ground around running a retail store, hosting events, and being part of your families? Oh, great I'll question. start because I don't read nearly as much as Annie does. Well, I probably do. Um, I read a lot, but you it's read not. A lot for school. I read a lot for you know my my dissertation, my research, and stuff, um, and then for what I'm teaching, and I reread that all the time. And I'm reading in dead languages a lot too. Um, so I read because I have to. Yeah. Um, your life is different. It is different. My full time job involves the reading requires it and, and requires it and so when i'm in my office and i'm prepping for class the way they're prepping for class is reading yeah um and so that's what i do when i'm in my office at school and when i'm home typically i'm reading something for my dissertation or a comic book for fun um and if i have a free weekend maybe i'll pick up a novel yeah um, but i haven't had a free weekend since july i was about to say you're um, like august maybe is bonkers um and so that's that's how I do it. Um, it's not that I make time for it. It's that the time that I spend at work is the time that I spend reading. Right. Work and reading are one and the same thing yep. right now. Which is different from you. Yeah. So I read on a good month, eight to ten books. November I read four. Um, and we've talked about that. And that's a respectable number. It is. And it, honestly, if I could, and I've said this, if mm-hmm. I could choose, I would just read four books a month. Um, I'll give you a little hint, Joanne. Uh, my dad sent me an article today. And I read it and then responded to him. And he wrote back in all capital letters, there is no way you could have read that just now. And I wrote back, yes, I did. And told him that I had comprehended, like I spouted off like three facts. And he was like, fine, this is your childhood all over. Um, (laughs) So I am a fast reader. I am not a speed reader. I think our staffer, Kate, could be a speed reader only because she's read 156 books this month. I mean, oh God, this month, this year. And I cannot wrap my brain around that. Um, So I'm not a speed reader, but I am, I do read quickly. And so I think that helps. Um, I was talking to a friend this week and he suggested that anytime I'm in a reading rut, I should put down what I'm reading um, because that's what slows me down in terms of quantity is when I get in a reading rut or when a book I'm reading I don't actually enjoy. Um, I still watch a good deal of television, um, but I read a lot before bed uh, to the detriment sometimes of my bedtime. Um, And I read quickly and it is part of my job to be well read. Like I, if I had my choice, I think I would be very happy to read four books a month. But I want to be able to tell our listeners what's good and what's interesting. And so to do that, I need to be reading a lot. Constantly. Yeah. Um, but Joanne, I think, I, I don't know if her question was this at all, but like reading at appointments and having a book with you wherever you go, that's like my number one tip yeah, that's for part of it. reading. I also, if I ever know I need to read a lot, I delete my Instagram. Just for like, I don't delete like my account. I just remove it from my phone. So that I'm not like it's a yeah. distraction. Yeah, yeah. So because you're just gonna scroll. And exactly. That's other time. So if I yeah. know I really need to get a lot of reading done, I delete um, my apps. Um, the last two questions we'll go through kind of quickly because they're recommendation questions. Okay. Um, I tend. This is from Shannon. I tend to gravitate towards slower books during this season, and was looking for any books you might recommend. I read The Esque Serpent after hearing about it on your podcast, and it is exactly the type of book I'm thinking of when it pictures slower winter reads. Okay, God, Esque Serpent was my first suggestion. Yeah. 
All right. I have talked before. Okay. Um, Tessa Hadley has written a book, um, I believe, called The Past. Mm -hmm. Chris, you could maybe look it up. Um, that sounds she, right. She comes to mind. But the author I immediately go to, and maybe Shannon might already be familiar with her, but Kate Morton books yeah. would be yeah. my yep, immediate yep, yep. go-to um, because they're – Gosh, I don't know if they are British literature, if they just feel like British literature, but The Forgotten Garden, Distant Hours, those are, first of all, hefty books, meaning they are long in terms of page length, but then the prose and the setting, they're just quieter books, um, and so even if they have an element of mystery or suspense or romance uh, or history, they're also not like speed through them books. Mm -hmm. You don't want to speed through right. those. So I would recommend Kate Morton. I also would recommend I Capture the Castle. By oh Dewey yeah, Smith. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Elena Ferrante comes to mind. That's a different, yeah. maybe a different kind of slow. No, but the same that's kind absolutely. Of it. Yeah, that would absolutely be in the same. Um, category. Some my brilliant friend and all the other yeah um, Neapolitan novels. I think I'm gonna tackle book three over my nice. own. There, I don't get a break. I'm I'm lying, but like my own winter days yeah it's, it's not a break but my, my own winter days yeah. <laughs> a novel um last question is from julie who has a, a three-part kind of uh recommendation question um okay. and i did respond to some of these you okay know. good um so i can do two of these um new graphic novels for gifts for high school and college age kids who love fun home oh, um so i thought of one. blankets by uh craig thompson <laughs> You're it's looking at me. Craig Thompson. Yeah, it's Craig Thompson. I was going to say Robinson, but that's the actor that's the from actor. The Office. Um, he has another book called Habibi. Um, both of them are like really big, thick graphic novels, so you really feel like you're getting your money's worth. Um, and they are um, good, kind of heavy, but beautiful stories um, and very well illustrated. I would also recommend Are You My Mother by Alison Bechdel. It's the follow-up to Fun Home and is kind of a... It's partially about writing fun home so that's interesting too um rosalie lightning by tom hart is the same kind of weight um and and sadness in fun home as in fun home um another one is honor girl and i'm blanking on the author right now but that's another similar kind of story what about lucy yeah 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 uh, lucy Nisley, um age of license mm -hmm. would be another really good one yeah i think here um, New Mysteries for Mystery Loving Mother, who's a Louise Penny, Dorothy Sayers fan. Um, well, I, my go-to is always, always Tom French. French. But that's maybe a little more grisly. It's dark. Um, um, well, Alexander McCall Smith, my customers sure. love, but you might already, uh, Julie, you might already have read those. Um, but the number one ladies detective agency. Mm -hmm. Um... One of our customers swears by um, Donna Leon. It might even be oh, pronounced yeah, Leon. Leon but I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I would try her. Actually, and one of my sales reps really recommends her. I just haven't read her. Um, but she has a great mystery series. And I think it's one of those that you can kind of read out of order, yeah. just standalone. So try uh, Donna Leon is how I want to pronounce it, but it could be Leon. <laughs> Chris will put it in the show notes. I will. And then finally, recommendation for a gift for college-age daughter whose favorite author is Margaret Atwood, or for high school slash college-age readers who are not into typical YA. And I think what I said here was Ursula K. Le Guin. Um, okay. My shop subscription for December is a book of her essays about, kind of about writing, and about how she thinks about the world. But she has a great several great series she's got one called the left hand of darkness um and she's got the wizard of earth sea series 
Um, those are all very good and in the in the vein of Margaret Atwood. They're friends and they've done interviews together where Margaret Atwood's like, I don't write sci-fi and Ursula Le Guin is like, yes, you do. <laughs> um, and so they have some, some disagreement, but they write very similarly. Um, I would also say Octavia Butler, who takes the kind of um, historical approach and uses some of the same kind of sci-fi end of the world tropes as Margaret Atwood likes to do. Um, those are probably my top recommendations there. And if you're going for more feministy literature, well, Which, first of all, but both of those authors for sure. Well, yeah, but, but less sci-fi. Yeah. Um, but this one is, I think, kind of sci-fi. Um, the Power by Naomi Alderman. Right, that's a new one. Is a new one. Um, but I'm thinking of gift. I guess I'm thinking of like the holiday season gift books. I really love um, Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, Volume One and Two. I own it. Like I don't think you have to be a kid to like these. Uh-huh. I feel like a high school or college age girl would love these. Um, beautiful illustrations. It's a keepsake book. Um, volume One and Two are out now. Um, and then I also really like. Um, Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. Uh-huh, yeah. um, that's one that immediately came to mind. And then, and then... Another one I thought of was the... Um, I forget the name of the series, but it's by Anne Leckie. It starts with Ancillary Justice, and then this follow-up is Ancillary Sword, and I forget the name of the third one. Um, but those are sci-fi and written in an accessible kind of YA language and have a very feminist overtone as well. And then Rebecca Solnit, Men Who Explain Things to Me, Mm -hmm. um, was really good. Also, there is a book called Feminist Fight Club, but that's not the book I'm thinking of. Mm. There's a book I read, Dietland, that felt like Feminist Fight Club. Uh, So Dietland is another one I would recommend. Uh, This is episode 150, and we are only here because you've gotten us this far. And I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of you. I say thank you to our patrons a lot, all the week, all the weeks, all the week long, all the week long day. (laughs) Um, But thank you, all of you, all of our listeners. You keep us going. You keep us doing what we're doing, and and we love doing it. Um, So truly, sincerely, thank you. Yeah, I don't think either of us ever thought. I I don't think I ever thought. Oh, yeah, we'll just keep doing this until like. I don't think I really ever thought people would listen <laughs> listen to it. Um, and so it's astounding to me, not only that we have so many listeners, but so many loyal, interested listeners mm-hmm. who interact with us and who follow us on Instagram and comment when something good happens to us. Or right. um, It's really lovely. It's like having, I say all the time, working in the bookshelf is like having an extended family. Yeah. You've got these customers who really have opinions and they mm-hmm. want to share them with you. And now we have that long distance with so many of you and um we didn't get to all of your questions because i didn't want to make this you know an hour more than an hour long (laughs) we're we're getting close to that um but i think that's okay we can have a supersized mailbag episode and and that's fun we'll be back next week with our best books of 2017 but this is the last episode we're recording in 2017 which is yeah interesting and exciting and Thank you for such a great year. Thank you. Uh, We wish you the happiest of holidays, a happy new year, and thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we've cast 
lots with all the devils of sin. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on this episode, you can do so at www.bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you, as always, to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel. It's from their album, Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to all this exclusive bonus content that we're talking about all the time, you can check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. And you can also check out our website, fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, for web-only content, a full back catalog of the show, detailed show notes, and all those access portals for that bonus content. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. Kate was on the phone with a customer who was obviously asking her to explain the plot of a Richard Scary Children's book. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Richard Scary Children's books, but they don't really have a ton of plot. No, they don't. Uh, And so Kate said something to the effect of, well, this book is about animals, and in this particular one, each of the animals has a different job, and it's all about what jobs they complete in their town. And I didn't hear the other end of that conversation, but the next thing I know, Kate was going, well, the animals are anthropomorphic, so yes, they do have jobs. <laughs> oh no! That's the greatest, this, we're never going to top that. That's the best of all of these little little tags Isn't at the on end. A high note. And wow, what a way to end the year. Oof. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Year. Well, week. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.